So, what does this have to do with us? Here's the main point, I think, of this section of text. The various roles for men and women of the church matter because the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God and reflects the restoring of all things to God's very good creation. Let me repeat that. The various roles for men and women in the church matter because the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God and reflects the restoring of all things to God's very good creation. We're going to unfold this in two points. Point number one, carrying ourselves with godliness, which focuses on verses 8 through 10. And then point number two, structuring ourselves in God's good order, that focuses on verses 11 through 15. Point number one, carrying ourselves with godliness. Brothers and sisters, the way we carry ourselves matters. The way the world sees us matters. If we are walking in ungodliness, if we are walking as an unholy people, that's what the world is going to see. And as they see that, they're going to want nothing to do with our faith or us. One of the reasons the church struggles in her witness to to be a proper witness is the church is filled with turmoil, is filled with unholiness. And the people think that they're somehow better because they've walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. But that's not the call of what it means to live out the Christian life. Paul is, is telling his young protege Timothy here to ground the people in this striving for godliness because it has a direct impact on God's will of his mission to save all people and all peoples. If we are not a holy people, our mission is hindered. If we are not walking in godliness, our mission is put aside. Therefore, we need to see that men and women are called to this walk of godliness in various ways. We're going to look at this in two sections. This is is the way the Bible breaks them down. We're going to look at this call for godliness, holiness, and men. And then we're going to look at this call to godliness for women. So let's look there first at verse 8. It says, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, men, is this telling us if we're not lifting our hands in the service, we're we're failing, we're not walking in holiness and godliness? Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with the, the posture of how our hands are. It has to do with the posture of our hearts. Notice what it says, lifting hands. Holy hands without anger or quarreling. The the concern is not the lifting of hands. Brothers and sisters, we can come and lift our hands and have ungodliness within our hearts. We can have greater wickedness within. This is why in Isaiah 115 we read the following. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. The people of Israel had lifted their hands in in thinking that, oh, by lifting our hands, we're worshiping God. And yet their hearts were full of hypocrisy. They were full of evilness from the violence they did and the wickedness that they pursued. Their hearts were evil, even as they gathered and came before God. Men of God, men of Central City Baptist Church, what is in our hearts as we gather 
We can come in here week after week. We can stand. We can lift our hands. We can clap. We can do all of these things. But if we're not pursuing holiness in the way the Bible tells us, we're missing the point of the gathering of God's people. We're called to lead the charge as men. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. There's a reason we read from Genesis 2 to point that out. Men are called to lead the march. We're called to lead the charge in a pursuit of holiness. But notice particularly how these are given. If, if we don't deal with this, we're not going to be a godly people. It says there, without anger or quarreling. Therefore, we need to make sure we step back and wash ourselves clean. This is why Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 goes on to add this to verse 15. It says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Men, we need to cleanse ourselves. We need to wash ourselves in holiness and righteousness. Why? Because these quarrels, these fits of anger come up out of us, not where they should. These are a hindrance to true godliness and true worship. But how is it they hinder, hinder us? Because they stir from our passions. They stir from the wickedness of our own evil hearts. They stir from our own thoughts. For does James not write of us here in James 4, 1 through 3? He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Our angers and worlds flow from these passions, these wicked and evil passions. So instead of focusing on the mission of God as one people with one God, one faith, one mediator, one baptism, we're, we're set aside with all these quarrels and all these fits of anger because of petty things. Think of how many churches, including our own, that have split or had people leave because preferences were not met, because the color of the carpet changed or stained glass windows were taken out, because somebody sat in their seats. Think of all the petty things that we allow to get in and to creep in within the church and cause fits of anger and quarreling and fights. Brothers and sisters, how can we come and say that we worship one God and one mediator if we are a people divided over the things that God doesn't care about those little details? Who cares what color carpet? Who cares if there's stained glass windows? Who cares if we meet in a sanctuary that's designed like the old one? Who cares if we gather and it doesn't look like how it did as a kid? Because we have to tweak certain things. Brothers and sisters, when we get lost on these, the mission of God is hindered. Because we're focusing on these, our, our attention is taken on these little petty things instead of seeing the glory of God and the fact of making Him known to the ends of the earth. Every time quarrels break out and fires are having to be put out in the midst of a congregation, notice the resources, the energy, that is being pulled from the mission of God. 
Every time. Every time there's a fire, pastors or elders or deacons have to turn their attention to one of these things. That energy and toil is not spent on discipleship. It's not spent on reaching and sharing the gospel with the lost in our neighborhood or to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, men in particular, the fact of us coming with quarrels and angers hinders our godliness because it hinders us from acting as God with perfect unity within himself. Our God is perfectly united, both Father, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are acting together for the same purpose and the same mission. And so is his bride, the church, called to. We're called to this unity, striving together under one God and one mediator. We cannot lift holy hands if we're walking in these petty arguments. If we're being filled and consumed with these quarrels, we must seek God and focus on his mission as a people united in the gospel of Jesus. We cannot lift hands. We cannot lift holy hands without this unity because it directly distracts us from the mission of God. Brothers, let us labor for unity. Let us pursue godliness by the lifting of our holy hands without anger and quarrelsomeness. Let us lead the charge in this, because this is our duty. This is our task. This is our purpose. Now, sisters, lest you think the men are the only ones that get rebuked, we all do here because we all need to see the call to godliness. But notice what Paul does here in verses 9 through 10. He says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Here women are called to live in modesty. We have a problem, though, in our culture when we hear that word modesty. We immediately think of the one that would come in with holes in jeans or, or a tight-fitting shirt and think, that's immodest. And while there's some truth to that, that's not the modesty that Paul is calling here to the church in Ephesus. Nor is it the modesty that should be at front and central within the church. The call to modesty, notice what it, it specifies. Adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Sisters, there are more women who, who are immodest in how they come to the gathering of God by the way they look down on others, by thinking that they have to have their gold earrings, their, their pearls, and showing off the wealth they have in rich clothing then there are those who come in in clothing that is tight and, and struggling to hide their appearance, their figure as a woman. Sisters, there's more ungodliness in this type of attitude, and that's what Paul is getting at here. He's getting at those that would come and look down at others and try and say, you know what, I'm going to show my godliness. I'm going to show who I am by the way I dress, by putting on this expensive clothing. There's more ungodliness in these means than we ever want to acknowledge and realize. And yet it is this type of, of immodesty that hinders again the mission of God. Because 
instead of a people laboring together to, to strive together, to build one another up, to teach one another, there's this looking down on one another because they don't fit the modesty description we think they should have. They think they're better somehow than the other. Sisters, if this is you, I urge you to repent. If you come to, to be seen by, by your clothing, your heart is full of immodesty. If you come to be to show yourself off and draw attention in these ways, this is not the measure of godliness. What is the measure of godliness? What is proper? It's not the braided hair and gold and pearls. Now, while it's not calling everything that in this evil, it's okay if you've got a gold earring or a gold necklace. It's okay. What, what the attention's being drawn here is to come in with this attitude and say, I want the show to be on me, to be pointed to me in this means. But the means to godliness is not that. Notice there in verse 10 again, it says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Sisters, if the attention is to be turned to you, let it not be because of costly attire. Let it not be because you have the richest uh, jewelry in the world to, to show off. Let it... If the attention is to be turned to you, sisters, let it be because people see your good works. If the attention is to be on you, sisters, let it be because you are one who is known as an encourager, who lifts people up and encourages them on a constant basis. You are godly because of that. Let it be because you are one who is known for encouraging those that are struggling with anxiety and depression and you want to build them up. You want to strengthen them. You want to comfort them by pointing them to Scripture. If you are one who want, is to be seen and noticed within the gathering, let it not be because of costly attire, but let it be because you are known for meeting the needs of everyone around you, neighbor or within the church, that you are meeting real and tangible needs, caring for people, loving one another. Sisters, this is the mean to godliness. This is what is proper. The modesty discussion, again, it is the root of, of evil, of wanting attention on self in the wrong ways. Means for proper godliness for you as sisters is built upon showing these good works. In Matthew 5, it says this. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let them see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The means to proper godliness for you, sisters is for people to see those good works. Not to, to show it in a flashy way of like, oh, look at what I did, but for it to be made visible in the way the church does life together. It matters how we do life together. It matters whether brother or sister that we are gathering together as the people of God to worship our one God and one mediator in Jesus Christ. We're to labor together for that unity in these various ways. And our godliness is measured in the way we live together. Let us see that
that if we are to be a church fit for purpose, we must strive for godliness. We must strive for godliness, men, in the way we gather, in leading to put anger and quarrels to death. And if week or two when we get to deacons one of the phrases i'm going to be using there but i want to go ahead and tip the hand to it now deacons when when we look at the role of deacons within the bible for for a mature leader who's called of one of two titles in the church elder and deacon deacons are where gossip goes to die deacons is where gossip goes to die If we're to have godly men in our church who are to lead at the front of this, they must put an end to gossip and quarrels and fits of anger, laboring together for the unity of the church. Brothers and let's fight in that way. Sisters, fight for godliness in showing your good works, in caring for one another, helping other women to study the Bible together. To grow in godliness and what it means. Well, that's all for point one. But brothers and sisters, we need to see, we need to strive and fight for godliness in these ways. But point number two, structuring ourselves in God's good order. Structuring ourselves in God's good order. Here in verse 11, it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Again, a a topical preaching would not take us to this because there is so much controversy, especially in our current culture on a topic like this. But why is it important? Why does it matter that a, a let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness? Well, for starters, we get caught up in the wrong thing in this verse. We, we focus in on that quietly and submissiveness. But we miss the most radical thing that the church is being taught. In a culture in which women were not encouraged to learn at all, Paul is saying, women, sisters, it's expected of you to learn. It's expected of you to grow in the knowledge of what it means to be a disciple of King Jesus. The invitation and expectation here is for you as women to learn alongside of everyone else in the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the expectation. It's the new norm. Jesus radically overturns the cultural barriers here in women being called to learn and to grow. Sisters, you are not some second tier uh, member of the church. You are not. You are called to learn and to grow in godliness and holiness. You are called to learn at what it means to follow King Jesus. But it does say learn quietly and with all submissiveness. So what in the world does this mean? Well, we're helped here in 1 Peter 5, 5. It says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This, this is to the whole of the church. Men and women are called to submit themselves to the teaching of the elders, the pastors, the shepherds. They're to submit themselves, men and women in this. That's what it means to submit. It means to submit to that teaching, nothing else. 
Nothing less, but nothing else. It's a call to submit to the teaching of the Word of God by those who are qualified and called to shepherd God's people. That's what it means to submit. But what does it mean to learn quietly? Well, notice what it goes on to clarify here in verse 12. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, whether she is to remain quiet. Okay, here's some clarification on what it means for for women to, to learn quietly. They're not to pursue the roles of leadership within the church in the sense of, of especially that of elder. They're not to teach and be the, at the forefront of the church leading as the pastor, as a shepherd, as an elder. They're not called to this role. Why? Why though? Well, it, it's almost as Paul expects our, our pushback here in 2022 with that question. He grounds it there in verse 13. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. He returns to that creation narrative back from Genesis 2, which we read early in the service. The reason women are, are not called to, to serve authority over man, that they're not called to the role of pastor within the local church, has nothing to do with male hierarchy. It has nothing to do with that of, of men trying to gain control or keeping control. It has nothing to do with that. There are places and churches where that is abused. Sisters, if you are one who has been abused in the church, I'm sorry that you had ever endured that. That is not how it should be. That's often, though, where we fight against the, the, the Bible on when it calls us to, to biblical norms of, of male and female. We want to fight at it because we look at the culture and say, here's why everything is wrong and blame the Bible for it instead of blaming sin within. But Paul's point here in calling women to learn quietly and to to not assert this authority is to return to God's good creation. In the very beginning, it was good. It was all good. When God created them, male and female, it was good. When God created male first, then female as a helper fit for him, it was good. So the reason for this is to show that the church is the forefront, the outpost of the kingdom, bringing back this very good beginning. Imagine when churches began to overturn this, uh, of women stepping in and usurping authority over men in teaching. They're saying God was wrong in the beginning. How does that further the mission of God if God was wrong and changes? It doesn't. It hinders the mission of God. God points to this to show his goodness in his creation. So that returns to that created order. This is why women are called to learn quietly in the role of pastor and overseer. Now, that does not mean, sisters, you are not to teach one another, that you are not to teach children. We know that from Titus 2. In Titus 2, it goes on to to say this in verses 3 through 5. It says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
So, sisters, you are called to teach one another the word of God. You're called to to learn and grow in that and to pour into one another. You're called to these things. This does not hinder you in being able to serve in the local church. It actually empowers you to do so. These are the ways in which you as sisters are being called. This is one of the reasons why cross-generational relationships within the local church matter. If younger and older are not interacting, Titus 2 is not carried out. Older women are not pouring in and investing and teaching younger women what it means to pursue godliness. That's one of the biggest beauties of Sunday school hour is to set aside and to grow in godliness, to grow in that means of what it means to live in a Christ-like manner in our world. But it means being cross-generational. It means being with those and willing to learn from others instead of thinking we're good on our own. We need one another in this. So sisters, teach one another. But again, you are not called to assert that authority over man. Why? It goes on once more here. Verse 14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That's a weighty word. And yet... And yet, there's much hope coming after it. But we need to look at this phrasing first. A woman was deceived first and became the transgressor. Notice what happens here, though. In the fall account, who does Satan go to first? He doesn't go to Adam. He goes to Eve, to the woman. He tempts her and says, You will not die. You will be like God. He tempts and deceives her so that she can assert that authority, that she can assert that power and be like God. And therefore, in the very fall, Satan is laboring to overturn God's goodness. He's overturning what God created. He's overturning it to wickedness. The very heart of sin is the overturning of God's good creation. That is sin. Anything that overturns God's good and perfect design is sin. And that's exactly how Satan attacked. He attacked Eve in that moment, deceiving her, calling her to assert that authority, to overturn that good creation of where it was called Adam to lead and her to follow, where she was called to follow his leadership and not ignore it, not put it aside. So when we see this call for women to learn quietly, it has more to do with the creation and the fall and the usurping of who God is and overturning his good design than it does with anything else. It has to do with that. Because it was the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, men, don't think we're off the hooks here. Adam was called to lead. He was standing there, but instead of saying no and interjecting, he didn't. Instead of him saying when his wife fell and and then gave him the fruit, he should have said, no, we're not called to do this and taken responsibility. Sin has entered into every one of us. This, This is not a call for gender war of blaming one another. But it is to see how sin comes into the world, how sin takes spread. But the beauty of all of this, yes, women are to learn quietly, but notice the gospel in verse 15. 
And yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, ladies who have not had any children of your own, does this mean you cannot be saved? No, that's not what it means. The point here is proving to, to God's good design. It's pointing to the norm uh, of life is, is a husband and a wife and reproducing, being fruitful and multiplying, carrying out Genesis 1, 26, being fruitful and multiplying, having children. So by acknowledging and affirming God's good design, his, his good created order, women are saved. They're saved through that faith in Jesus Christ. They're saved in the fact that it is Jesus who has come to overturn the world and restore it back to its good and perfect design. It is through faith saved. Sisters, hear the beauty of that call. Despite transgression, despite sin, Despite being deceived, the grace of the gospel is extended to all who will continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You are saved and you are being saved by holding to that goodness. Brothers, the same is true for us. By affirming God's good and right order, by affirming that the only way to restore it is the sending of his own son to die to rise and ascend, we are saved. The beauty of this text is often overlooked. Salvation comes to sinners in the midst of it. And God is at work overturning every norm by restoring it all. But the local church must be on the first of that line. The local church is the outpost of the kingdom. It's where God's good beginning is being pointed back to and being restored. Do we realize that it is through the local church that God is shedding, sharing that gospel? That he's spreading the advance of his kingdom. We as the local church are the embassy for the kingdom. We're, we're advancing God's ways, his rule throughout the earth. And it starts here with rightly identifying who God is in his good creation. If we deny God's good creation, even in that of male and female, we hinder the mission of God. But by holding to these, pursuing godliness, we're affirming that what was lost in the garden is now being restored in Christ. What had fallen and been broken is now being mended and made new. Brothers and sisters, this right here is as gospel as gospel gets. Jesus has come and he is making all things new again. He's restoring things to the pre-fall condition and we need to hold that. We need to affirm that and we need to rest in that. So instead of us looking at gender norms and, and thinking of this is about male and female battles, let us see that it is, is not about that. It's about affirming God in his perfect goodness and the work he is doing and restoring all things to make them new again. And let's declare that to a world who is watching and in need of aid, their need of the light of the gospel. 
Brothers and sisters, let us then this week strive to walk in godliness and to affirm God's good order and how he is making all things new again through his bride, the church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the love that you have showed us in Jesus. And we pray, O oh God, that we would be a people who walks in godliness and a people that rightly affirms your good creation. God, may we be at work pointing that you are at work restoring all of this. And may we store that truth in our own hearts to encourage us. Father, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.